0: Good morning. You guys got that all sorted out? I am in you, you in me. (laughs) We are definitely faced with a challenging topic this morning, but one that I'm excited to look at with you. Um, I I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying this series where we're examining who God is. And the more that I think about it, and the more that I consider what we're doing, the more I'm sure that this is a worthwhile activity, thinking about who God is. I think a few weeks ago, um, when I was here, we were talking about the fact that God is knowable and how that is the highest pursuit in our lives. And I've been convicted on that in the last, last weeks, even myself, because I think oftentimes I can confess that with my mouth, but my practice doesn't line up with that. Does that make sense? Like. If somebody were to look at my life, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I spend my thoughts, would they see that knowing God and pursuing Him was the number one thing in my life? I don't know. I would hope so, and I hope increasingly so, but I'm challenged by that thought, and I hope that you guys have been as well as as I have been. Um, One of the things I wanted to encourage before we dive in today was... Uh, to remind you again that we have that online once a week devotion, and it's just a small devotion. It's a very simple devotion that we're doing, but the hope there is that we would be thinking about these things outside of just the Sunday. And so, I really would encourage you, if you're able, to find somebody to go through that with, uh, whether that's a family or a roommate or a friend. Um, find somebody to do. Have that discussion, have, read out that devotion together. It's once a week, we're posting those up. The one for this week is already um, live on the website. And so you can find that in the weekly news, a link to that, or if you just go to contourcc forward slash God, the contour website, and then just forward slash God, it'll take you to each of those. So it's just one, one a week, and we're just hoping that this will continue to stimulate some some thought, and more than just thought, some love of God, right? In us, so that's good. All right, that was all bonus. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, and uh, we'll jump in. I know we've already prayed a few times, but I really do want to ask God to help me and you as we look at this together. God, I thank you that we are here together, sovereignly, at this moment, to examine our hearts, to examine Your Word and to think about all that you are. And God, we pray that our hearts would be stirred through this time. We pray that we would respond in worship, in love, in awe, in wonder. And so God, do work on our hearts in these next few moments. Lord, I pray that you would guide my heart in particular um, and my heart voice to speak things that are true and i pray that you would be at work by your holy spirit in this room helping us to understand together thank you amen we are going to look at something that is a mystery i'm guessing that you're already aware of the fact that what we are looking at is mysterious if i was to pull out a dictionary like the Cambridge Dictionary, and look up what is a mystery, this is what it would say, a mystery is something strange or not known that has not yet been explained or understood. Now, for those of you who know me well, you may know that I live with two walking, talking mysteries in my home, in that I have identical twin girls that are my daughter's. Now, the reason I say that they're mysteries is because if you know anything about twins, you may know that unlike fraternal twins, identical twins, they still don't know what happens to make them form as identical twins. Let me read for you from the NHS website what it says about monozygotic, that's the technical term, identical twins. They say this, nobody knows what causes identical twins. Simple statement. If you go to the Australian healthcare system and and their website, I like what they say. Listen to this. They say, the biological mechanisms that prompt the single fertilized egg to split into two remain a mystery. I love that. I love that here we are in the 21st century, and yet with all our technical knowledge and know-how... We look at my, my girls, and we still just say, yeah, we don't know. That's a mystery. I love that it's a mystery. And the mystery that we're going to look at today is actually a mystery that goes far deeper than identical twins. It's the mystery of how God himself exists. This mystery goes far beyond our comprehension. It goes beyond our experience, and I hope that we will see that together. Wayne Grudem in his book Bible Doctrine says this, he said, it's clear that this form of being, as in how God exists, is far beyond our ability to comprehend. It is a kind of existence far different from anything we have experienced and far different from anything else in the universe. When we come to Things that are mysterious, we often have one of two very different responses. One of the responses is to be dismissive. We look at the mystery and we're like, "Uh, "I I don't know. I don't know what to do with that." So it's above my pay grade. I'm just not going to even look into that. Like I don't understand that, so I'm not going to even try. The other very different response is to go into what I'd call uh, Indiana Jones mode. Okay, this is where We're like, all right, I'm going to figure this mystery out. I'm going to be the first one to finally decode the mystery. And I put it to you, we don't need to do either of those things. When we come to this particular mystery today, let's not take either of these postures. Rather, let's come humbly hoping that God will grow our wonder and our worship. Think about a beautiful sunset. When you see a beautiful sunset laid out in front of you, and all the colors reflecting off the landscape and off the clouds. It's just this beautiful scene. I hope, hope that when you see the mystery of that, that you don't look at that and think, well, I don't really understand how that's happening, so I'm not gonna look at it. That would be a bad response. Equally, I hope that you don't turn to the person next to you and say, did you realize that when the sun's rays hit at this certain angle, the light does blah, 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 blah. You know, I hope that you don't do that. When we see the mystery of a beautiful sunset, what we could and should do is simply gaze at it and enjoy it. And that's what I'm asking you to do here today, as we look at the mystery of who God is and how He exists, that we would gaze at Him and enjoy Him, that our wonder and our worship would increase. So why is the God of the Bible so mysterious? I've said that several times. Why is that? Well, to to help us in this journey and kind of get us going, I want to take you to two very important scriptures and and read them together, and I think we'll start to see this coming to light. Let's go to Deuteronomy. I encourage you to find a Bible and go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me. Some of you will know this scripture off by heart. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a very famous passage, and I'm going to read from verse 4. It says this, Hear, O Israel. By the way, Israel, God's chosen special people. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, as we read that, you may be like, that sounds nice, I like that. You know, that's, that's a, a pleasant scripture, and you'd be right, it is. It's a beautiful passage, an important passage. Now flip over with me to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, and as we read Matthew 3, we need to realize that this is the moment that Jesus is baptized. He's about to start his public ministry. He's about 30 years old. He's being baptized by John the Baptist, who's aptly named and uh, verse 16 is where we're going to read, John 3:16. And it's not John 3:16. sorry, Matthew 3:16. It says this: "And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I hope that as I read these two passages back to back, you're starting to see some of the issue, some of the mystery that we're dealing with here. You see, we read Deuteronomy 6, and it correctly tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this was a very important teaching in this moment. The people of Israel had just left Egypt where the people in Egypt believed in all sorts of gods. They worshipped Pharaoh, they worshipped the Nile and all sorts of other gods. They were polytheists, many gods they believed in. And God correctly comes to them and says, no, 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 there is one God, me, Yahweh. I am the one true God. But then we read here in Matthew 3, And as we read, we've got something interesting going on. We've got God's voice coming from heaven, and then we've got Him claiming this Jesus to be His Son, and at the same moment we've got the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, seeming to descend in this moment. And we read this passage and we're like, okay, so what's going on here? If, If you've been around church very much, you hear people in church talking about God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or if you're in an older style of church, maybe God the Holy Ghost. And so our finite minds start to struggle here, and we're like, okay, well, what is it? Is God one, or is He three? Is He the God we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, or is He the God we see in Matthew chapter 3? And the answer that we find somewhat frustrating is yes. He is both. And that's problematic for us, not for God. And this problem has led to thousands of years of debate. Dan hinted at this a moment ago. And because of the debate, because of the struggle, and the struggle to comprehend this, we've formed, we've created special words that we don't even find in the Bible, like Trinity, or Godhead, or Triune. All of these words capture the belief that God is three persons in one eternal and unchanging perfect being. Back in the 1600s, there was a group of Christians who came together, and they worked for five years on creating a document that articulated what Christians believe and what the church is. This document that they came up with we call the Westminster Confession of Faith. And they talk about all sorts of things, but one of the things they talk about is the Trinity. And I want to read for you just a sentence from this Confession of Faith. You'll have to bear with some of the older English, which I think is actually kind of cool, from the 1600s. They said this, in the unity of the Godhead, now don't get thrown off by that, that's just saying in God is this three-in-one person, there be three persons of one substance power, and eternity. Now, that's a short sentence, but there's a lot packed into those few short words. God has revealed that He is these three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, and each of these persons is distinct, and yet each is fully God, powerful and eternal. And this is where perhaps a more modern version of that thought would be helpful if we were to turn to a book like Wayne Grudem's Bible Doctrine, which is a theological textbook, it tells us that when we look at God, there's three things that we need to hold on to and believe to be true. One is that God is three persons. Secondly, each person is fully God. And then thirdly, that there is one God. Now, that may sound to us like a contradiction, but I assure you that it's not. And this is where we struggle because we just don't have a good frame of reference even the best analogies fall short of fully capturing this you know whether that's an egg or whether that's water or whether that's a clover leaf people have tried different things over the years but they are fully capturing what what this is about and because of the struggle and the struggle with our intellect and even our experience saying, I, d- I don't have a frame of reference for this, we can very easily fall, fall into error. Over the years, there's been four prevalent errors that, that people have struggled with, and I'm just going to quickly go through those. They each have a kind of weird and interesting name. The first one is modalism. You may be able to guess. This is where people believe that God changes in mode. In one moment, He is God the Father, and then... He changes and He's the Holy Spirit. But that goes against what we just read in Matthew chapter 3 even. Another error is to believe the belief of Arianism. Arianism denies the full deity of the Son and the Spirit. It's the belief that the Son and the Spirit came and were created by the Father. But again, this goes against what the Bible teaches, which is that God is eternal, and if He is eternal, He is also unchanging, which means He's always been three in one. What changes is the revelation, not God Himself. Thirdly, this is a fun name, subordinationism. This is another error. Subordinationism is what it sounds like. The belief that the Son and the Spirit are subordinate to God the Father. As in, they're inferior to God. Not on the same level, not as important. Again, that is an error. The fourth is tritheism. This denies that there is only one God. Rather, sees and thinks that God is more like a pie divided into three pieces. But again, if we read Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the triune nature is a difficult, this trinity, this idea that God is three in one, is a difficult thing to comprehend, and it's prone to misunderstanding, which makes me ask the question, why would God want to reveal this truth about Himself to us? Knowing that it would cause pain for some of us, and confusion, and even division in the church, which it certainly has. God could have chosen to just stick with the revelation of Deuteronomy 6. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. In life, painful things often have the potential for great beauty and blessing. One of the most difficult experiences in life is to carry and give birth to a child. And yet, thankfully, mothers go ahead with this because they know the beauty and the blessing that comes from it. The doctrine of the Trinity has and will cause pain and confusion, but it also has potential to bring great blessing and great beauty to our thinking and to our lives. And so let's come back to a question that we've already asked, and think for a few moments about what is the beauty of this belief, this doctrine. And so we're going to do that by looking at this question of why has God revealed that He is three in one? I'm going to give you four thoughts here. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This is really to help us in our journey a little bit, all of us, and I, and I pray that it is helpful for us. So why has God revealed that He is three in one? Firstly, so that we can better understand how to relate to Him. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And here in 2 Corinthians 13, we have the last recorded words from the great church starter known as Paul to the church that he started in a town called Corinth. And his last sentence to these guys captures all three persons, but it doesn't just capture all three persons, it also captures a little bit of their roles and how we engage with them. What we need to know and understand is that each member of the Trinity is, yes, fully God, and yet they are unique in the way they relate to each other and how they relate to us. And we see a little bit of that coming out in just one simple sentence here. I'm gonna read from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, and it says this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now you may be like, well, that sounds like some nice encouraging words, but there is a ton of theology, thoughts about God, packed into this sentence. What is this sentence telling us about God the Father? Well, it says here, it says, may the love of God, it's reminding us that God is a God of love. That he is the father pictured in the story of the particle son who runs after the son. That he is the God of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God the father is a God of love. This sentence is telling us something about the Holy, sorry, not the Holy Spirit. Well, it does tell us about the Holy Spirit, but let's look at the son. What's it telling us about Jesus? It says, the grace of Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, God's Son, is the carrier of grace. He is the one who enables us to be right with God the Father. And we'll talk about this more in just a few moments. What else is this sentence telling us? Well, it is telling us something about the Holy Spirit. It says, May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The Holy Spirit is the one who is amongst us now at work. That's why we prayed earlier and said, Holy Spirit, would you be at work amongst us as we're here together today? If you're a Christian, He actually lives inside of you. You see, seeing and understanding that God is three persons in one helps us to think more clearly about God and understand who that He is. No longer is He just some deity who's sitting up in heaven giving us 10 commandments. No, we know much more about who He is and how we can even approach Him. So practically speaking, this is very helpful. It even helps us to know how to pray. I'll give you an example of this. I I could pray a prayer that sounds like this. God, Father, thank you that I can come to you. And I come to you boldly because of the grace Of Jesus, not on my own goodness or my own merit, but because of Jesus. And Father, I come to you asking that your Holy Spirit would guide me, because I really need wisdom in my life right now. I would not be able to, you would not be able to pray that prayer unless God had revealed to us that He was Trinitarian in nature. There is great beauty that comes in this thought, and there's more that I could say on this, but I'm going to keep moving. So, why has God revealed that He is three in one? Second thought is so that we can better understand how to relate to each other. It's not just about how we relate to God, but it's also about how we relate to each other. The Trinity gives us a framework for not just understanding God, but also understanding His world. Now, I was very careful here to not say our world because ultimately it is His. He created every atom in this universe. And God can help us in this. There are two key words that I want you to think about here one is unity, and the second word is diversity. Okay? Unity and diversity. In the Trinity, we see both unity and diversity. By, by the way, there's an interesting thought here God has existed this way forever. He's always been in perfect relationship, united and diverse. And so, any thought that you may have, and you may have grown up hearing this like I did, that God created us because He needed somebody to worship Him. No. God was, has always been in relationship with Himself. He didn't need us. Anyway, that's a sermon for another day. But. The point here is that God Himself is united and yet diverse, and He has created His world to operate best when there is unity amongst the diversity of His creation. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Think about a marriage. A marriage works best when there is unity amongst the diversity. Those of you who are married will say a hearty amen to this, right? This also works out in the church. The church is a wonderful place to be when there is unity amongst the diversity of the church. Equally, it's a horrible place to be when there is disunity, right? Thirdly, we see glimmers of beauty even in the world at large when the world at large embraces unity amongst diversity. We see this in the world around us at times, fleeting at times. The unity and diversity that we see in God only happens because there is something special going on in the Trinity, and we'll call it for our intents and purposes today here, complementary submission. And I realize that that second word, submission, has a lot of baggage for us, but I want you to think of it in a perfect sense, without that baggage, We see in the Trinity a loving, trusting submission where each of the members of the Trinity are relationally connected and they complement each other through their submission to one another. There's a couple of scriptures I'd point your attention to here. John 20 is where I'm about to go. So John 20. And here in John 20, if you turn there, you'll see that Jesus has just been raised back to life again, and he's interacting with his disciples for the first time. But we hear a little bit of this submission coming out in this verse. It says in verse 21 of chapter 20 of John, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is another text. Within two verses, we see all three persons active. But there's that important thing. He has been sent by God the Father. There is a submission here. If you flip back just a few pages to John chapter 14, before Jesus goes to the cross, when he's at the last supper table, It says in John 14, verse 16, this. This is Jesus speaking again. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, capitalized Helper, by the way, because it's talking about the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. What we need to understand here is that Jesus is submitted to the Father, and the Holy Spirit is submitted to the Son and the Father. And this does not, hear me say this, this does not diminish their godness. That's not really a real word, but you get what I'm saying here. It doesn't diminish their significance. The Bible paints for us a picture, an example, a perfect example of delightful submission and relationship. So am I suggesting that as we grow in understanding the Trinity our marriages, our churches, and our engagement with the world in general will improve? Yes, that's absolutely what I'm suggesting. Thirdly, why has God revealed that He is three in one? So that we can be saved. I glossed over this earlier, but this is a hugely important point for us to understand. Earlier I said that Jesus was the carrier of grace, and that's true, but let's put this a little bit more plainly. Without the Trinity, we cannot understand salvation. Without Jesus coming, without Jesus dying, without Jesus' resurrection, you and I are lost. And so we can simplify that even further to simply say, without Jesus, we are lost. Who else would be sufficient for the monumental task of saving us from our sins? We have to understand that our sins, the things that we have thought, said, or done, that don't measure up to God's perfect standard, that they are like an immovable pile. Only somebody supernatural would be strong enough to fix that. And so we ourselves cannot fix ourselves from our sins, and not even a really good person or a prophet. Jesus was more than any of those things. He was God with us, Emmanuel. Only Jesus is able to save us from our sins. And so with no Trinity, there is no Jesus. And with no Jesus, there is no salvation. And sadly, this is where the Jews still sit in their beliefs today. Fourthly, why has God revealed that He is three in one so that we can live life to the full. Do you wanna know the best way to live your life? It's not a slogan about being happy, it's not a slogan about uh, having good money or a good career or a good family life. The best way to live is by being right with God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. If the Trinity were not revealed, we would not understand that. God has revealed that He is Father, Son, and Spirit so that those of us who believe can walk in more joy and freedom than we would have until He returns when He comes and gets rid of all sin in the world. Without the revelation of the Trinity, we would still be making sacrifices to ask for forgiveness for our sins. We wouldn't have the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Advocate here leading us and guiding us. The fact that God is three in one greatly enhances the lives of those who believe. Jesus made this pretty plain when He was here amongst us. He said, "I came. I have come to give you life, and give you life what more abundantly." And so I want to ask you, do you know God? Are you right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus? There is no other way to be right with God, no amount of good living. And finally, are you empowered and directed by His Holy Spirit? Now, most of us in this room, we probably need to think on that third one more than the others, because I think most of you would say, yeah, I know God. Yeah, I'm right with God through Jesus. But are we empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit, or are we trying to seek our own way, make our own decisions independent of the Spirit's leading? All that we've said here reminds us that yes, the Trinity is mysterious, but it's a good mystery. Kind of like the two mysterious little humans that I get to live my life with. They're a good mystery, my twins. I don't understand how that all works. Nobody does, but I am incredibly thankful for their lives. just as every day I get to witness the beauty of that particular mystery, identical twins, we too can embrace the beauty of the mystery every day of who God is. My hope is that our time together has increased our thoughts about this. It's increased our awe, our wonder, our worship. There was a lady who lived quite some time ago who made a quite profound statement. Her name's Evelyn Underhill, and she said, if God were small enough to be understood, He wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. Our God is three persons in one perfect eternal being. And I don't fully understand that. But I do believe it to be true. And what I would say is, what a marvelous mystery. And so all I say to close our time is, how great is our God? Amen, right? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. That even though we don't fully understand this mystery of how you exist, there's three persons in one. We thank you that you have revealed that this is true. And by faith, God, we want to cling to this belief. God, may it change the way that we think about you. May it change the way that we think about each other. God, help us to live lives celebrating the salvation we have through Jesus. May we live lives that are submitted to the will of the Holy Spirit. And so even right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to work in our time of response. Help us to be open to your leading, your prompting, and your guiding in these next few moments. Speak to us now. Thank you that you are here with us. Amen.